It's the 14th of March 2021. Welcome to the weekly roundup with me Lydia Lakonyero. Uganda scientists are at the tail end of making a drug for COVID-19 with its variant which will be used to treat the public. President Yoweri Museveni in January this year officially launched Uganda's first clinical trials of the drug at Mulago Hospital after the Ministry of Health received funding in terms of equipment from its partners abroad. The president who was speaking at the commemoration of the International Women's Day at State House in Entebbe said although at the beginning of the project the scientists faced some challenges now they have been resolved and within a few months the locally made drug will be ready. We are also working on the vaccine ourselves because we don't want to depend on others. It took us a little bit of time because when we were looking for the things to use, they said, you Africans, what are you looking the vaccine for? You wait, we shall get it and send you. Can you imagine? You Africans, you don't have a, a good name in the world. But we said, no, we shall get them. If you, if you don't give them, somebody else will give them to us. Now we have everything. We are in the process of making our own vaccine. Not only for the, because it's the old corona, the other virus which started, but now there's a new one. So we have now. The, the, music, the musical of the original one. So after our people are now targeting the musical now, they are no longer, so ours may end up being much better. Museveni encouraged the women movement to direct their efforts towards improving the socio-economic lives of fellow women rather than advocating for their rights alone. The state minister for gender in charge of culture, Peace Mutuzo, has also warned men against stealing the incomes of their spouses instead of helping them grow. Your Excellency, our field reports have indicated an increasing level of economic exploitation against web beneficiaries by their spouses. Some spouses have abandoned their traditional roles and responsibilities, and they demand for money from their wives at the expense of the project. I call upon men to support their wives. Economic exploitation of women has to stop if we are to register economic gains from women's hard work. Moving on. Members of the East African Legislative Assembly have called for dialogue among member states to find a lasting solution to the trade barriers. This comes after Kenya banned the importation of maize from Uganda into their market, citing the increase in the aflatoxins, take two, citing increase in aflatoxins. The legislators who included Paul Musamali, Dennis Namara, and Mary Mujenyi say they had noted that Kenya frequently bans Ugandan products, citing diary and poultry products in the past. Mary Mujenyi said that while she understands that some of the maize might have had aflatoxins, it is unfair to ban all maize from the country and has asked the government to investigate these claims and equip farmers with skills of dealing with them. Is there any maize in Uganda that is being exported that is not good? And I think the answer is yes. There is some bad maize. So for that reason, I want to call on our government to equip the farmers and traders with tools and means of post-harvesting handling, proper drying and storage of maize, so that it can meet the standards, not only of Kenya or East Africa, but can actually meet international standards. Dennis Namara and Paul Musamali say the ban is not about aflatoxins as alleged by the Kenyan government, but it looks like a trade war because they never warned the government about it. 
They pledged to take the matter to the East African Parliament. For me, I look at it as just the economic war, and as the members of the Parliament of the East Africa whom you sent, we are extremely very disappointed in the actions of the Kenyan government to ban the importation of maize. It is not about Afrotoxins. They are hiding in Afrotoxins to ban Uganda's exports to Kenya. Because if you are saying that it's about Afrotoxins, when did they own Uganda, uh, Ugandan uh, producers or, or sellers or traders of maize? Meanwhile, the chairperson of the Electoral Commission, Simon Biabakama, has said he's thrilled by the decision of the National Unity Platform to withdraw their presidential election petition from the Supreme Court. Biabakama made the remarks while appearing before the Legal and Parliamentary Affairs Committee of Parliament to give the Commission's view on the Constitutional Amendment Bill. The bill sponsored by Jinja Municipality East Member of Parliament Paul Mwiru seeks to, among others, create an election tribunal to handle parliamentary petitions. Biabakama says the withdrawal of the election petition shows that the commission did a fantastic job in the just concluded elections and the outcome is credible. So for us, we are of course elated, we are happy that the petition has been withdrawn and therefore there is no challenge to the work we did and therefore the outcome is credible for that matter. Biabakama said he cannot comment on the declaration forms released by the National Unity Platform Party saying they do not have a copy of these results and they do not know if they are genuine. The National Unity Platform Party on Tuesday circulated what they said were 25,000 declaration of result forms showing that Robert Chagulani Sentamo had won the January election. What is the basis of his claim that he won the elections on account of what is contained in the DR forms which he has? Whereas the DR forms in our possession, in our custody, show a different picture. And secondly, if he felt strongly, if he felt strongly that indeed he won the election and that claim is premised or that conviction is premised on the DR forms he has. Why didn't he utilize the opportunity of having filed a petition in the Supreme Court to present these forms? The Inspectorate of Government has shown concern over the law compliance by leaders to declare their assets and liabilities. Under the Leadership Code of Act, all leaders are required to declare their assets to the Inspectorate of Government every two years, and this year, the exercise started on the 1st of March and will end on the 31st of March. The Deputy IGG, Mariam Wangadia, says in the first 10 days, only 1,567 leaders out of the 30,000 leaders have declared their assets and liabilities, representing a percentage of only 5.2. This was revealed as the Speaker of Parliament, Rebecca Kadaga, submitted her declaration to the Inspectorate. 1,567 have successfully submitted their declarations. This represents 5.2% of the leaders who are due to declare. As Inspectorate of Government, we are concerned at this low rate of engagement so far and wish to encourage all leaders to take off time and visit our website and submit their declarations. Wangadia also reminded outgoing leaders to ensure they fill the exit declaration forms of assets and liabilities. Who is exiting after 30th 
September. This leader is required to fill the exit declaration form at the point of his or her departure. Upon submission, the account will then be deactivated. Why a leader needs to fill the exit declaration? There are various purposes for this. One is to comply with the leadership code. A failure by a leader to comply with this law is a break. Let's see what's happening in the central region. Kampala Lord Mayor Elias Lukwago has expressed the need for collecting data for vehicles and border-border motorcycles in Kampala for proper planning. This follows a report released by KCCA indicating that every year over 1.35 million Ugandans perish in road traffic accidents affecting mostly the pedestrians. While launching the Road Safety Strategy Plan for 2021-2030, Lukwago raised the need to know the number of vehicles and border borders to help in policy formation and monitoring. We do not have complete data on the vehicles we have in the Kampala here, including the border borders. It's just an assumption. Somebody will tell you, in the Kampala, maybe border borders are in a region of 200 to 250,000. Nobody is sure how many we have. We need to capture all that data to guide us in our policy formulation. In eastern Uganda, Justice Wilson Mosene Musalo on Wednesday reversed his own November 2020 ruling that placed Aloet and OPI wards in Soroti City West instead of Soroti City East. The reversal follows an application filed by Soroti Member of Parliament Herbert Ariko, who was a candidate in Soroti East but lost to Moses Okia Atan of the Forum for Democratic Change. He argued that the transfer of OPI and Aloet from Soroti City East cost him the election. The judge arrived at the decision after going through an affidavit filed by the Minister for Local Government, Rafael Majezi, in defense of Arico that clearly stipulated that Aloet and OPI were in the East as per the, as per the instrument that created Soroti City. He noted that the District Council, Cabinet and Parliament approved those areas at those areas as part of Soroti City East and not West as it was stated by the five city residents who petitioned the same court. The five city residents included Michael Enyagu, Robert Onayang, Stephen Erienyo, Patrick Ejelu and Brian Omoding. The ruling now gives MP Arico an option of filing an election petition that in turn will lead to the nullification of city elections in both constituencies. The judge, however, did not make his pronouncement on the general elections but directed the Electoral Commission to comply with the court judgment by ensuring that Aloet and OPI are part of Soroti City East. Ariko's lawyer, Yusuf Mutebule, said the court ruling paves way for another election. I don't expect another round. This has been a final round, uh, like he has rightly put it. Yusuf Mutebule is my name, one of the lawyers uh, representing Honorable Ariko. Honorable Ariko came to court because he felt there was an injustice that was occasioned by the very court. Because in that civil suit that has been reviewed, you realize that uh, the court had uh, said that uh, the demarcations are the boundaries were as per the instrument. Unfortunately, at that stage, those who came to court misled the court and did not give court the proper instrument. So court basing on the, the purported instrument ordered that Aloyt and OPI were in uh, Sorot East, I mean Sorot West. Today, court after reviewing and going through all the evidence on record as presented by Honorable uh, Ariko and the Minister of Local Government, Rafael Magezi, court has given a proper position of what Sorot East is and what Sorot West is. And therefore, 
we can now confidently tell the public that Aloita and the OPI wards are in Soroti East Division. So whoever was elected from Soroti West on the basis of uh, Aloita and OPI, it goes without saying that there was no such a constituency. And therefore, Electoral Commission has been ordered by this honorable court to comply with the orders as per the instrument that created Soroti City. Meaning that Soroti East is now going to consist of, uh, among others, Aloita and OPI. So whoever is interested in running as a member of parliament should be mindful that Soroti East now has Aloita and OPI. And if you are in the West, please, just so that whoever voted you from Aloita and OPI was not a right person to vote you. So, in summary, we have to go through another election. In northern Uganda, religious leaders want the government to give them priority in the vaccination against COVID-19. While commending the government for securing the vaccines, Bishop Sabino Ochan Odoki of Arua Catholic Diocese noted with concern that religious leaders are not categorized among the essential workers, yet they are always in contact with people who could be infected. We say government and uh, the church, they are in partnership. But sometimes when it comes to action, we see that uh, the church is not very much considered all religious leaders. For me, I would say that uh, the religious leaders have to be top priority because we are in contact with the people. We meet them to lead prayers. We even do counsel them. We mentor them. So we are really vulnerable. So if the vaccine is available, the religious leaders need to be one of the top priorities because they are also equally exposed. Like medical people or police or journalists, they are equally exposed to the danger of coronavirus. Reverend Titus Achidri, the parish priest of St. Barnabas Church of Uganda in Pajulu, Arua City, also urged the government to prioritize the immunization of religious leaders. In most cases, we, the church leaders, have not taken active part because everything is centralized by the government, especially in these areas of uh, what they call task force. Even currently, this issue of uh, the vaccine that is going to be administered, I cannot remember whether they have talked about involving the churches because I'm told and I've heard over the radio that the first priority is given to the medical personnel. And uh, I don't know how the sensitization is all about. And indeed, all these medical personnel and also other people, they are people who also come to the church. My wish is if creating awareness is done, uh, something like uh, the church involvement should actually take the active part in uh, disseminating this information of COVID. Uganda launched the national COVID-19 vaccination on Wednesday, two days after receiving 100,000 additional doses of COVID-19 vaccines donated by the Indian government. So far, Uganda has received 964,000 doses of the vaccine through donations. Several religious leaders, including the former bishop of Masaka, have so far succumbed to COVID-19. With that story, we come to the end of our weekly roundup. I am Lydia Lakonyev.